0: Hey guys, these next three episodes are going to be from our live episode out on the back porch of Franklin Bridge last Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. We had over 70 people from the club who came out and supported, and we had giveaways from Titleist, Srixon, and our own Scott Hasse. Everybody in attendance got a 30-minute free lesson, so make sure to come on out on Wednesdays at 6.30 to make sure that you are are there to win some great giveaways. So we have a lot of things to plug on the podcast. We have the Franklin Bridge Performance app. We have our fall programming along with some exciting 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 uh, new additions to Franklin Bridge coming up within the year. So um, make sure that you guys come out to Franklin Bridge at 6:30 on Wednesdays to come listen to the Champions Playbook. Um, thank you for everybody who came out and without further ado, here you go.
1: There's no rules! Shoot a lower score! There's
0: Welcome back to the Champions Playbook Back here on the back porch of Franklin Bridge Where we have our largest crowd yet for the podcast So it's been an awesome night Which means our Ash Sherlock is going to be great So, hopefully we're going to have a lot of questions from you guys. Remember, if you guys ask a question, you get five more tickets for the raffle drawing, for the Strixon bag, a couple boxes of Pro V1s, books, free lessons, um, whatever you guys can imagine. And remember, if you guys are here, and I'm saying this, you guys know it, but the people at home don't, if you're in attendance tonight, you get a free 30-minute golf lesson with D. Scott Hasse. So, if you guys are listening to this, on the airwaves you you already missed out on a half hour lesson with scott so make sure to come to the back porch of franklin bridge at six thirty. i know we started a little bit earlier today just because we got a bigger crowd but uh normally we start at six thirty on the back porch of franklin bridge y'all make sure to come out so without further ado we're going to go ahead and get started with our first question
2: do it brett hey right, scott so this is something that we've talked about a lot before so you can answer this and everybody else can at the table too because i'm not answering the- first I know you've worked on it with Jack and everybody else, but why is it that your body language and the way you carry yourself on the golf course, but also off the golf course so important? Because, I mean, I know me and you have worked on it, but you've worked on it with so many other people. The way you carry yourself off the golf course, whether it be in the classroom, at work, with your family, also carries onto the golf course, whether you're an amateur or professional golfer. So why is that so important?
3: I said no nose goes. like. Well, if you go back to what Jack had talked about even at the very beginning tonight, you got two things in control. One of them's attitude. And that's, you know, a self defeatist attitude is not going to get you very far. Some people just don't even realize, you know, their, their self awareness just isn't quite evolved enough where they even see it and notice it. So from there, that's just an opportunity to ask some questions deep questions hear some of those answers and try and support those answers to try and help that individual improve whatever
4: it is I'm so happy you brought up self-awareness we recently at our facility had Mariano Rivero come, you guys know who that is obviously and he attributes a lot of his success to that point right there he said that And I wish we filmed it for our juniors and put it in the film room, but he talked about his elbow position and how he worked on that for eight months.
0: Hall of Fame pitcher, for those of you who don't know.
4: Yeah, so eight months, and he said if he was too low or too high, he knew exactly what that was going to do. And then he also talked about adrenaline and kind of where that put him. Again, you couldn't be too high, too low. Uh, So I thought that was remarkable, to to be honest, to hear that from someone like that.
0: I think the way you carry yourself on the golf course really translates to your scores, too. Um, I think everybody in here has had a moment where they hit one terrible shot and then it just snowballs. By the time you know it, you finished with a eight on a par three and you're wondering what the heck just happened. You can't get it out of your head. And then by the time you hit the next tee box, you screw up your next tee shot, right? And so it's all about, um, Scott and I have been talking about recently about fighting for the best score that you can. So if you hit a terrible tee shot, you're like, okay, we got to make bogey here. Got to make bogey here, and so I think if you can just like figure out the, um, you know, what your body language means to you, and uh, a lot of people will say if you're having a bad day, just smile and you'll see your mood just automatically increase, right? I think it's the same way on the golf course too. If you, you know, your shoulders slosh, your, you know, your head's down, I don't think you're going to perform well on your next shot, regardless. So I think if you can just carry yourself high, think about fighting for the best score that you can with the circumstances that you have, and I think you'll see it improving your scores.
2: So I'm gonna share something that Jack and I did the other day. We were kind of playing around with body language, and there was uh, some high school kids out here. Um, there's probably what a dozen of them or so with the team. And so I'm finishing up a lesson. And I was like, they're all putting, and they've got certain holes. Or there's three. There's two flags, and then one hole they're putting two over here on the putting green. And which we have an awesome putting green coming. Who's excited about that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah,
0: I, I knew it was going to be big. I did not expect that <laughs> kind of reaction.
2: Yeah, uh, so, um, but with that, I was like, hey, Jack, make those kids move without talking to them or moving them or touching them. And so, like, all, all he did was, like, start to take up space. Now, Jack's a confident guy. Like, he's tall, he's big, he's strong. He's like, well, it's just a bunch of high school kids. But how they move and react to other people around them, and I got to spend some time out there around tour players, and it's like they'll run into you and they're not being rude they're not like it's just like they they're unaware of that and like i'm confident i'm gonna move in my space and if you're in my space get out of it
3: yeah they're They're aware aware.
2: (laughs) They, they just don't care about you right so um but like they're it's a position for them of confidence and dominance and so like Jack would like he would kind of look over at me and be like, "Yeah, move these ones." I was like, "No, go to the next hole." Like because they'd all congregate over there. It's like move over there, and all he's did, all he's doing is putting. Let's see, he's not. He's not like intentionally like trying to get real close to him. It's just they move out of his way.
0: There's a difference between like confidence and arrogance
1: too. We've been
0: talking about that fine line between confidence and arrogance. And uh, yeah, for example, like I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't shoving people. I wasn't knocking people or being disrespectful. But you just figure out how to take up your own space, take up that bubble and uh, eventually you'll find out that the people will just end up moving away from you because they want nothing to do with your space.
2: Yeah, your body language says a lot about how you're feeling on the inside, and sometimes you can't change how you're feeling on the inside, but you can change how you look on the outside. Now, look how Brett is standing right now. So that's what we call a power pose. Uh, Yeah, Brett! He's like, oh, my gosh, I'm so uncomfortable right now. Uh, But, like, so one of the things we did with Brett, we were uh, downtown Birmingham. I was having dinner with him and his parents, his brother, and one other kid. And we had been talking about body language and something that we worked on with Brett. It was right as he was finishing, I guess it was your red shirt freshman year, right? So we were just finishing that year. And so I'm going to go ahead and spoil the book for you. But um, in that moment, like we were talking about it, body language. And so we leave dinner. It's what, nine o'clock at night, walking down downtown Birmingham, got to walk a couple blocks, walking towards Brett is a guy about Jack's size. So, Jack, can you stand up for a second and Brett come up here and stand next to Jack. He's a, he's, a he's, he's a large human walking towards Brett and Brett, like, moves out of the way. Now, I was far enough back behind Brett and after we got past the guy, I was like, Brett, why did you move? He's like, I knew you were going to say that. Like, I was like, stay your line and walk your line. So, then as we're walking, um, we're walking a little further, a guy with his girlfriend or wife or whomever is walking towards us And he's jack-sized, and dude's not moving. And I'm like, I'm back probably about this distance from Brett, and I'm like, don't move. Don't move. Hold your line. Just keep walking. And they get probably to, like, me and Stephanie from each other, if not closer, and the dude moves and has to move his girlfriend out of the way. And we get by him where we're out of earshot, and Brett was like, oh, my gosh, that was so uncomfortable. Oh, my goodness, it was so uncomfortable. (laughs) Because like if he doesn't move, he's gonna run right into him. Now, with that said, w- that's all we worked on that summer was body language. We didn't change anything in the swing. It was all body language for Brett. How he positions himself on the driving range, how he carries himself when he's on the first tee, on the on the green, how we move off of it, and all those types of positioning. He walks in. He's a red shirt freshman. Didn't have a good first season. Walks in. Starts out playing great and qualifying the team votes him as team captain. You don't vote a red-shirt freshman as team captain. His work ethic was always really high, but that body language is evidence that it changes how other people see you. And so, like, as a smaller guy, like, just just basic research. If Brett and I go for an interview and the interview goes equally well, who are they hiring? They're hiring me because of my size. It's just a natural way that... People pick leaders. Now you don't have to maintain it that way. Like Brett can stand out in who he is and his posturing actually levels the playing field. If he cowers at all, he's out. So like the fact that he's standing like that naturally and comfortable, he didn't used to stand like that. And so like that means it's become a part of who he is. His confidence levels are a lot higher. So yeah, that's the answer to that one. Love that. Just do it. I mean you've evidenced it. That's why it's important. It works.
0: I love that. I think that, that was a long one, but I think it was definitely necessary. And I think a lot of people need to hear that as well. I mean, it's just the way you get around every day. I think it's great. But again, we want to give everybody the five-ticket opportunity. So We're going to answer faster. I'm sorry. We're going to answer faster. Uh, swing that microphone around, Chuck, to the backside. Yeah, keep on going. Keep on going. Keep on going. Keep on going. Keep on going, keep on going Chuck. Keep on going. Keep Here's on it. going. There we go. Right there. And now angle it towards you and go ahead.
5: Uh, Good evening, can you hear me now? Oh yeah. Yeah baby, hey I'm like you, haven't broken 80 yet, been at 80, 81, 82, and uh, this is going to be a two two part question, I've come in on 17 and 18, all I needed to do was hit par and I would have shot a 78, a 79, and a 79, and ended up shooting an 80, 81, and 82. I think I have a pretty good mindset, you know, based on, you know our discussions but i i think there has to be something deep down maybe a limiting belief so one's going to be a mindset and the other one's going to be from a golf perspective i know you addressed this last week on um shoot 80 so i'll ask you from a mindset standpoint is there anything you should be thinking about you know when you're you're getting close to breaking 80 for the first time and i believe once you do it you're going to continue to do it it's just like the person that ran that first four-minute mile. No one ever thought you could do it. But once it was done, everyone started doing it. So I'll ask that, and then I'll have a question for you, Stephanie, if you don't mind.
3: Where I'm going to go with that question, is a great question, by the way, is to quit thinking about the score. The score. Amen. If, um, if some of y'all were here or if you heard the podcast a couple months ago when I was here, I, I made the comment, I've never hit a bad shot. And, and the audience went, oh. It's poor execution at my level. It's not a bad shot. I didn't execute. So I didn't deserve the shot. So now it puts pressure on the next shot. Keep it simpler.
5: Okay. All right. And Stephanie, how would you address that, not from a mindset standpoint, but maybe from, you know, I I track my stats, you know, so I know, know where I can improve. Greens and regulation, or fairways and and uh, putts and stuff like that. But is there anything that you see, generally speaking? Because is not just for me, but everyone else. I'm sure either you're trying to break a hundred or break ninety or or whatever. So is there anything you you would? What advice would you give?
4: I think it's mostly a mindset issue. Just that, just thinking about score. I think if you think about score, you're done. The same thing is if you th- the last thought before you tee off is OB or water on the left, where are you gonna hit it? Most likely there, right? Cause that's the last image in your head. Um, from a technique standpoint, I guess, uh, I think Scott would agree it would be mostly process. Like what's your routine? What's your breathing? Um, because when you're in that pressure pressure situation, your most dominant habits come out, but a process is what you can fall back on.
2: All right, I got. I have to make a comment on that. We were talking about this earlier. Wedges, 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 wedges. Everybody here sucks at wedge play, okay? And so, like, we can fix that. It doesn't have to stay that way. Wedges, not nah. princess is like not me, not anymore because I broke 80. <clears throat> got it. So, um, but like wedges, 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 wedges. Nobody wants to spend the time there. And. Yeah, you have to spend time there. The other thing is with wedge plays, you can actually use it as a foundation to build the rest of your golf swing. So, like, it's something that everybody can learn how to do. You just have to be willing to get uncomfortable, stare reality in the face, and and go from there. Um, Yeah, that's all I'm going to say. I have another point, but I'll share it. I'm sure I'll be able to tie it in later.
0: Chuck, one thing that I've tried too, and granted, I haven't done it yet either, so maybe I'm talking out of my rear end or not. We're going to do it, baby.
2: But we, I told you, wedges. Wedges, wedges, Well, yes,
0: wedges, wedges, wedges. But Scott was talking to me about something that actually really helped me. It goes along to Stephanie's point about the process that you're falling back on. Scott and I were talking about how um, some of these Olympic trap shooters, when they go up, when they walk up to the park, walk up to the range, whatever they do, they turn on a song or they turn on a beat. You know, one, two, one, two, one, two. They find the beat. They walk to that beat. They breathe to that beat. They shoot to that beat. They reload to that beat. They do everything to that beat. And you'll notice that, like, they're the most – they're the most stern. They're the most focused. They're the most into it athletes that you'll ever watch in the Olympics. Now, obviously, obviously that's up to debate. But if you watch it, they are they have it down to a science. They look robotic. And it's to the point where we were out playing earlier today, and I was saying that on, like, a par three tee-off, um, and I was like, one, two, one, two, one, two. And I just found out that my brain slowed. Swing thoughts were not in my head, and I just fell back on my practice, talking about dominant habits, right? And so it actually – really worked for me and that's something that i'm going to implement in my game more and more
4: hey jack you can say the same thing about tour pros they have a lot of their routine and process down to the minute when you watch them absolutely which it's pretty incredible
0: yeah i mean morikawa did it on team taylor made he was talking about his his routines going up and i mean they have it down to like x amount of shots that they hit out of different situations different clubs different law or different lies everything it's crazy
5: okay hey thank you very much
0: yeah yeah yeah, baby. Princess, speak into that mic uh, real close.
1: Real close? Okay. Real close. Right. First, I just want to plug Scott's program. I cannot tell you what it meant to me. There were times, New Year's Eve, it was flooded out here. It was 38 degrees. None of my other CTCers showed up, but I did, and I gave Scott the out. I'm like, this is almost blankety blank stupid. He said, We're here, let's get better. So commit, do it, you will be happy. Wedges, wedges, wedges. I've been doing it from a 19 to a 12 handicap in 10 months. Disclosure, I used to be good, but I got old, I got fat. I got rid of some of the fat. I got some, no, but I mean, you can still do it. It doesn't matter your age. The thing I loved about Scott's program too is the mental. I've kind of got this Buddha Zen thing that I believe in, but I wasn't doing it in golf. I would beat myself up and go, you suck, you do this. And he calls us out on that. And it's been really huge for my game. And saying that on his Instagram, I put, achieve your dreams, not, I put chase your dreams, you're worth it. I want to change it in the universe and say achieve your dreams, not chase, because chasing means that you're chasing it and not getting it. Achieve means you're going there. So pay attention to your words. All right, I'll get rid of all that. So just do it. Okay, so my question is this in listening to other people's self talk that I play with, like any green's a good green, any fairway dot's a good dot, blah, blah. We don't believe that anymore. But one that really hit me again that I'm thinking over and over is what do you think about a sucker pin placement and the attitude towards that? I don't think it's real for all handicaps or skills. So where do you draw the line and how do you handle the difference on being smart and going for your BPN, which is a Scott thing, versus center of the green, I don't think is always the right attitude either. So my question is, what's the best way to handle a sucker pin placement? Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) We're having a stare
2: down up here.
0: Um well
1: I, I'm gonna sit down now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if
3: you're uh, a good putter, it really doesn't matter. Twenty five feet, go for it. Right.
2: Right. Well so uh how many of you played in the uh what was what did we do? What was the two the no, you could play the two you could play your um No, it was the your was it the best ball scramble you got the extra shots and stuff last year that we played in? Was that the solo? The solo. So, like, you get extra shots and mulligans as you're playing, and it's like, oh, okay, I get to use all these extra shots. Well, a lot of people were using them in the putting side of things, and it's like what you realize, like, you got to hit it close enough. Like, the tour make percentage outside of 20 feet isn't very high. Uh, I would also say, like, not all sucker pins are made equal. So, like, a front pin here is a sucker pin, but so is a back pin on number 18, for those that can kinda see 18 here at the island green. A front pin, everybody's like, oh, I'm gonna try and hit it close. Like you got all of that water right around the front side, just hit it into the middle. Um, a high level player with a wedge can hit it back into the middle and try and pull it back a little bit, but they're always gonna bias it long. Um, a back pin here is also a sucker pin because the green pinches in on both sides. Uh, there's different ways to chase it up there. So I think part of it is like, you can go for sucker pins if you have shots that can allow you to kind of snake it in there and scoot it back in there, so you you get it closer without taking on the risk. And so she's gonna be in uh, a different tier um, now that she's kind of under 80 for our Cracking the Code 2.0. I'm gonna split them by uh, handicap levels this year. Um, but once you get into that next tier, now you've gotta learn other shots to be able to get it closer so you can hit more sucker pins. Also depends on your day. Like if you're just not hitting it great, then it's definitely a no-go situation. But you know, a two putt from the middle of the green ain't too bad. Uh, but there's some sucker. P- like you got a wedge in your hand, yeah, go for it. Unless you suck with your wedges, and if you suck with your wedges, come and see me. That's what we're you. So all 30 minute lessons are going to be wedge play. Sorry, no, I'm kidding. Um, but <laughs> uh, see, I mean, you can go for it, and you can't, and you should, and you shouldn't. It depends on the scenario, the level of play, the tournament, what kind of risk you're taking on. There's a lot of factors, and we'll get into that in that next level.
0: I think you have to.
2: Oh, yeah, I, I hate absolutes like that. Like, just hit yeah. to the middle of the green. That, that happens to my juniors a ton. There are times where they need to go for it. And you can't, like, you have to have the opportunity to do that. One of my, who's now a tour player, played Arkansas Tech. For their team to win the conference championship, he had to make an eagle on the last hole, hits his tee shot right into the trees it's got 200 and something yards has to take it over the out of bounds over the clubhouse hook it to try and get it near the green hopefully he can chip it in hits it to 12 feet makes it for eagle they win the conference championship you can't teach that there, but you can cripple that you can say well just you know let play it safe here that is not a moment to play it safe he wasn't going to win the golf tournament he's like I don't care we're going to win the conference championship 40 yard hook sling it out there and go for it now if you don't have the skill set you can't hit that shot
0: and I think what you said right there is knowing your own game too. Yeah, I think that you know, for example, you can't like handle the truth, but princess, you if you have like a five iron into a tucked pin, I feel like that's like an unrealistic goal, right? Like at that point, just go for the green, right? But like, if you have a scoring club in your hand, whatever that is for any of you guys, whatever your favorite club is in the bag, what's that? Yeah. Great, yeah, like whatever your scoring club is, or if you have multiple scoring clubs, and if you're in a situation with that yardage and a pin that you feel confident in, go for it. I don't like we talk about it all the time, take risks. Like there's no reason why you shouldn't.
2: Especially in your practice, you can take risks, like there's no burn to it and, and learn from it and back off.
3: Sorry, I gotta go the other way. I love it. Yes, this is great. Nothing wrong with being aggressive. There's a lot wrong with being risky when it's not necessary. I like that. It's knowing when to take the risk without being risky. And this is like tomato, tomato, but, I mean, yeah, it goes back to knowing your own game. Exactly, Jack.
0: All right.
4: That's what I was going to add, too. Just knowing your own game and from the first chapter of Scott's book is your dispersion patterns, right? Like, so then you can move your dispersion patterns based on the pin locations.
0: Love it, love it. Another question. Question, question. Miracle.
6: Question, question.
0: Yes. Speak into uh, that mic for me, brother.
6: First, uh, we graduated Cracking the Code last year. We'll continue. We are dedicated to follow great program, great products. I encourage everybody to join, give a try. You will be better, not only as a golf player, it's a better thinker, and uh, in many ways, uh, I learned a lot, but now I am looking all of you. I would like to see how many left-handed or leftist how they call us, are here. Okay, not many, but that's my question of the day. And I ask that question many times. What we can do to make more fair for left-handed players Starting from buying the clubs and reading the golf instruction books, that I have to read left and I visualize in my head that's my right. Or, you know, uh, have to be something. What we can do, we are on the air tonight. Can we send something at least in the air? Somebody is listening. We have to move. And I'm starting right now and I appreciate any help of all of you, what you can do to give us support for us left-handed. I like to say lefties.
2: All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer it one way. Um, golf professionals that are listening to this, or if you know other golf professionals, stop saying right and left. Start saying front and back. Like front foot, back foot, lead foot, back foot lead arm, back arm, so change the conversation so that way when you're in a group with lefties and righties, they don't have to sit there and translate. So I have to catch myself sometimes because I've been in the habit of doing it the other way. Um, The other one, I'm going to kind of flip the challenge back onto my lefties in the room. Uh, There were a couple of lefties at one of the clubs back in Birmingham at Timberline. They used to have, I don't know if they still have it there, but they had a big left-handed only tournament. You get a big scramble, like get on social, find other lefties, like talk to other righties, like, do you know any lefties? Can I get their email, phone number? Start a tournament, talk to Brooks, talk to Evan. It may start small. It may start at, like, 20 people, but they do – it's actually probably the biggest tournament that's at Timberline. It's like 120 players. It's all lefties. It's the weirdest thing looking on the driving range going, they're all standing backwards. Like, (laughs) what is going on? Um, And and I'll say this on the equipment side. More than ever, left-handed equipment is available, but a lot of companies that, like Zexio – that still don't have the volume yet, they're like, oh, we're back to like, oh, it's a dollar thing. Like, oh, we're not making enough dollars. Like, well, if you offer the product, you're probably gonna sell more. So like, one of my challenges is, I've got a meeting coming up in uh, about a month with the regional director of Zexio Strixon. And so for me, it's just positioning that like, can we get more left-handed product? Or give me a left-handed demo set, I'll pay for it. I don't care, at least let them have something to try. So I can do the conversation on my side. Golf professionals can change the conversation and my lefties y'all get together. Like, and that's if,
6: a good if idea. If Thank we you. Can, if we you can know, help here.
2: God. Like that kind of starts y'all every, getting some attention.
6: Everything helps. Every gar- little
0: step. I guarantee you that there's a left-handed golfers, Facebook group too. I guarantee it. Now, I'm, I, I'm serious. If you like probably Google just left-handed golfers, I guarantee you a group comes up and you'd probably be surprised how many people actually end up in those groups. And who are close to you, too.
6: What now? Instead, wedges, 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 lefties, lefties, lefties. Thank you. <laughs>
2: Thanks, Miracle. Next question. I'm going to try and let you all answer You can some. tilt right that up, too. Second. Don't be afraid to put
0: your hand on the mic. Yep. You can tilt it up even more if you want. Bam, bam.
7: So, long-time listener, first-time caller. Uh, <laughs> I've... <laughs> And the man I'm asking the question to is walking away. so hope he hopefully he still hears it.
3: Welcome to fine bomb. But
7: so Scott and I've had a dozen or so lessons together. It also several of which are based on the building blocks of my grip. He changed my grip. He said I've never changed a grip outside of about 10 people in my life. So we go through these dozen lessons. And aside from hitting crappy shots He's I'm, paid
2: more money for the same lesson with his grip Than anybody I've ever known And that's okay He just really loves me and my family I really appreciate it
7: Trying to help you move forward But, uh, but all, that's, all that said like, When I'm hitting crappy shots What can I do to remind myself To go back to those basic building blocks Of where we started I find myself struggling with that quite a bit
4: those tendencies and the basic building blocks, like you said, will always come back, no matter what type of player you are, an elite player, beginner. That's why they're called tendencies in our in our industry. And in terms of just grip, I would say, it's the only connection we have to the golf club. So I think that's why as golf professionals, we do focus on that. Hopefully your swing gets easier from starting there.
2: Well, this is back to, like, staring the truth in the face, right? Like, you don't change your grip, but it ain't going to change. So that's up to you, right? It's so paying attention to the fact of, like, I have to change that, right? Like, I have to make a commitment, and I, I did this with Stephanie today. We were working on a movement in her in her chest as she goes forward, and so I step in there and hit when I do Some of you have seen me do this, and I'll go in, and I was like, I just made the movement. Why can't I do it, and you can't? has nothing to do with me being more athletic. has nothing to do with me being more knowledgeable. There's none of that matters. Taller, male, no, none of that matters. It's It mattered more to me to change the movement. It mattered enough for me to change it. If you haven't changed it, it doesn't matter enough. I mean, we said that in Cracking the Code this winter, didn't we? If you haven't changed it, it doesn't matter enough. If you haven't lost the weight, if you haven't ga- gained the strength, if you haven't gotten more flexible, if you haven't gotten rid of your pain, if you haven't gone to the doctor, if you haven't, like, if you're – finances are out of order like my wife and i got out of debt thanks to dave ramsey like love it but finally had to stare reality in the face like we gotta get out of debt and we did it was hard staying up late doing other things on the side trying to make money like it's yeah we hadn't changed it because it didn't matter enough so at the end of the day change it but you know your core things right so it's it's i have that one movement i have my back swing i have my forward swing so stephanie asked me a day like who's your swing coach i was like Hank, well, have you seen Hank? I was like, no, like, I'm, I, I don't have the ability to go down there and see him right now for multiple reasons. But and like, shooting
0: even par with seven clubs, you probably don't need to go see him.
2: Well, I shot three <laughs> under today with <laughs> with seven with clubs. Seven clubs, but, um, but like, I have people like Erica was here this summer. I have, uh, I've had Jack like, hey, this is what Hank's got me working on. I can see it on video. Like, if I haven't mastered those three things, there's no point in me moving on. And so like. That's kind of the drive, like the monotony of the cracking the code 2.0. There's a lot of monotony of like staying on the same thing over and over and over until you get it because that's habit formation. So Stephanie has something to say.
4: I'm going to push back a little bit on Scott too, just because we were arguing today just about this because I think you're renting it rather than owning it right now because I think you need to put in the reps until you feel comfortable with this new grip change, too. He had a little bit different take with that, but that's my take, and he can uh, he can talk about that now. <laughs> well,
2: I, I think it's a little bit language and semantics, but, like, you can own the swing whenever you want. I'm the bank. I'm, un- like, here's, here's the deed to your house. Now your job is to live in it. If you treat it like crap, it's going to... S- it's going to look like crap. Good luck on your resale value if you don't pay the bills, which is renting it. Like, you got to pay the mortgage. I think we're using the same language. But, like, you can have it whenever you want it. You can change it whenever you want it. Like, there's there's no secret there other than me directing you what to change. And so it's go back to those fundamentals. Like, if my grip's not correct, great. If my back swing, my palm isn't pushed away, then it's not there. If my forward swing, my right palm's not pushed away, then it's not there. Like it's one of those three. It's not gonna be anything outside of that until you master those three. And once you master those three, you're gonna get the shot performance that you want, then you're gonna want more. So good question.
7: Thanks. I'm gonna cowboy up.
2: More positive reps. Yeah, and they gotta be positive and they gotta be correct. So, so quick note on that from Scott. So here's, here's the research on motor learning and development. For every incorrect rep that you make, it takes approximately three to four to get you back to neutral, to get you back to where you just showed up with. So if you go on the driver range, this is why I love that we went from two buckets of balls to one bucket. I can guarantee you that that second bucket for darn near everybody here, they actually got worse during that time. That's a hundred swings incorrect. You just put yourself in the hole If you did the first 100 correct and you do the next 100 incorrect, you put yourself in the hole 300 swings like that. That's the reality of motor learning and development. So.
8: All right. So I've played golf for 13 years. Uh, Shoot anywhere between 79 and 100, just depending on the day. Uh, So. Here's my question. I love the course. My favorite hole is probably the hardest hole on this course. Number seven. seven. Love that hole. Love that hole. That's
2: Stephanie's favorite hole, by the way.
8: (laughs) Yes. It's challenging for, for many reasons that we won't get into. But my question is, one of the easier holes, and probably the signature hole here on 18. I hate this hole. And it's in my head. For one reason and one reason only. I have trouble getting off the tee. I play a fade. With a fade, I have trouble not going too far left into the trees to play the fade. Now, my problem is, and we'll go back to the club championship, I'm playing in the, the very top flight with my brother-in-law, who's a plus-two handicap. I play off a of 9.5 right now. Right. Okay? Now, I'm getting a stroke. Every... Every match I'm getting a stroke. I cannot, for the love of me, get off that tee box. I either snap hook it into the trees, I top it down into the rough, or I snap hook it again into the lake or the pond here. Five wood, three wood. Now I'm down to, I'm just going to go hit a five iron off and hit into the fairway and hit a seven iron into the green that I'm comfortable with because I know I can hit a 7-iron 170 yards and hit the green and two-putt for par. So my question is, how do you deal with the psychology of a hole that is in your head instead of a hole that you love?
4: The second part of that question just answered it for you. Go. Because <laughs> what would you hit off the tee? What would you say? Uh, Five-wood or three-wood, just depending on the day. And you made par?
8: Last time I played,
4: I hit five
8: wood off, topped it into the the rough and just past the ladies' tees. Hit a seven iron to 165 yards. Seven iron again onto the green. Two putted for bogey.
4: Yeah. Then just do that. What's the only thing that matters? Shooting the lower score. Then there we go. <laughs> his
2: ass. So so here's here's the trap everybody gets into. They think there's a way to play a hole. There there's not like. You can play it any way you want. The card does not care what club you hit. Like, I came out here and played with just a 7-iron. This is not bragging on me, but, like, it was to kind of prove a point for me to learn some stuff. I played with just a 7-iron. No, I didn't use it putting and everything. Shot 40 with a 7-iron. Like, the card doesn't care what club you hit. And that's the part that people got to let go of a little bit. But I'll also say this. Uh, there's something that my coach gave me to do. So here's something tangible to do, like going out in the late evening like this. Um, I had a hole like that that I really struggled with in college. And he said, why don't you go out there with a thing of bucket of range balls. I know it's hard to do here when we're really busy, but use one of those like days where the weather's not great. Come out on 18 and hit a bunch of shots. So I went out there and hit 50, 60 balls three or four different times until I found a shot I was comfortable with hitting there. So there's... there's like go out there where there's no pressure on you, where you can actually build some real life confidence. Like, okay, I can hit this. And so instead of the conversation of the holes in my head, it's like, oh, I actually have something to go to. Like, I can hit this shot. And so like to me, that's one tangible thing that my coach gave me to do. That thing's really helpful. So like, there's obviously like the hard side. Like, I really like what she said there. Like that's, not, I love that. That's perfect. Like, don't play it that way.
0: You don't have to. Like, it's, a, it's something that you've told me. Like, I'll be like, I don't know if I, like, should hit this shot, you know, draw, fade, whatever. And you're just like, just do it. Like, just do it. And I'm like, what does that mean? And you're like, just just hit the ball. And I'm like, going back to that, it's just like a, it's it's a mental psyche thing that's just stuck in your head. And it's like, you just got to get out of it. Like, you just, just, it's like that, it's the Shia LaBeouf meme. It's like, just do it. Or, that's all it is.
1: <laughs> this This has all been great. For the lefties, I want to say that when I started playing golf 20 plus years ago, there was nobody in Nashville that wanted to teach me left-handed. They all wanted to try to teach me right-handed. So be glad that people are talking front and back because it's a whole different, whole different.
6: Even the left monitor does not work. Yeah, there you go, there you go. That's, that's not a justice, right? Thank you yeah. so much. So, no.
1: so I have a question probably for Stephanie. Uh, I have a grandson who's gonna be eight in two weeks. His parents don't play golf. They don't want him to play golf because they, it's too expensive. I wanna get him into golf. So what's, yeah. So what's the best way for me to kinda start introducing him other than buying a set of clubs and bringing them to the driving range?
4: That's such a good question, just because with our programming and our development with that age, actually doesn't really involve a golf club that much. It's honestly hand-eye coordination, athleticism, um, hopping, skipping, jumping. I know Scott probably does a lot of that stuff in the Op 36. I don't know how young his programming goes Um, And snag golf, I don't know if you've ever heard of snag is amazing. So it's, it's just really, it's tennis balls with Velcro targets and big uh, golf clubs. Uh, Maybe Scott will do that here soon too. But I think that's the best way to introduce them. And my advice would be when they're having fun is when you actually need to leave the golf course because then they're actually going to want to come back. Yeah.
2: That's, that's a wonderful answer. Uh, one of the other ones I give, and so like Rebecca, my wife over there, we've, we bring the kids out, and like if they want to play in the sand, they play in the sand. If they want to swing my driver, they can swing my driver. Like I don't care. Like they're having a good time. They're having fun. It's like Daniel wants to just run alongside the cart. Like that's cool. So like he's, he's like, just take him with you and maybe have some – I don't even care if they're adult clubs or kids clubs. It doesn't really matter at that age. They're try, you're trying to get them to like the game and spend time with you. And so, it's it's doing those things. Snag golf's wonderful. So uh, you can buy a cheap set of snag stuff online. So um, I would do that, and just take them out there and let them have a golf experience with you. Bring bring if they like playing baseball or soccer, like bring one out of those out there with you and shoot the breeze. That's yeah, nice. and take them off when when they're having fun. Okay. I
0: nice. guess I'm the only one on the panel that has been a kid recently.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, hey, <laughs> No, but, uh, but in all seriousness, to answer that question, too, I think my favorite memories of my grandparents is, like, being on the golf course. And I never took the game seriously until a year ago today. And so, like, I think that there's something to be said that, like, my favorite memories with my grandparents is being on a golf course even though uh, I wasn't even playing. It's just, like, whenever I go back to Little Rock, Arkansas, I'm like, can we go to Pleasant Valley? Like, I want to go to the club. And it's just, like, the thing is uh, it's just – Having fun with them, and they'll remember. If you take them and have a memory with them, they'll want to do that for the rest of their lives, whatever it is. And a good way to do that now, if you don't have a place to go to, is like just go to Top Golf. I guarantee you that those grandkids will love going to Top Golf with all the lights, all the experiences, all the food, everything like that, and they'll they'll remember that forever. So I think that'd be a, a great way, and it'll stick with them.
3: Hey guys, thanks for doing this. Um, it, it feels like a strange question to ask on a day when it's ninety degrees, but this year's flying by. And I had the pleasure, of Stephanie, of living in Connecticut for five years, so I know what those long golf off-seasons are like. So when we get to that time of year when it's less practical to take a lesson or go to the range or get a, get a round in, what, what tips do you guys have for us to keep our game sharp when, when you can't really get out and play much? Scott,
2: you want to take this one? I, I think you do a, you've done some of this stuff, and so I think, I think your insight here is really good.
3: Yeah, thanks. So, um, 13 years ago, I got rid of my wife. That was probably the best thing. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. No, um, just spending a lot of time chipping and putting. I mean, you think of it, there's 42% of your shots are on the putting green. Another 18%, 20% are, are chipping. So it's learning how to manipulate those wedges, 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 wedges in the living room. The lefties, family room. lefties, 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 lefties. Yeah. And it's it seems monotonous, but I got a great dog, and he loves to get them and bring them back to me. And I keep it simple. Living room, right? Yeah, you bet.
4: Just to add to that, just because I'm obviously in a cold climate uh, in in our off-season where we can't be outside at all, um, a lot of it is we we do block practice and random practice, and what that means for you guys is block practice is more technique-based, so it's a lot of mirror work, it's a lot of half foam roller, it's a lot of just those functional movement patterns that you're really trying to ingrain, and to be honest, I think a lot of our juniors at least see the most success in in the off-season um so a lot of it is just again that simulator um then we throw in the random practice random practice is more the challenges and skill based and more competitive uh atmosphere but that's how we do a lot of it and and (laughs) honestly a golf uh lesson or session is in also in the gym (laughs) so
9: awesome thanks guys
0: Yeah, we're gonna take uh, two or three more questions. Daniel. I'm looking at you, Kyle Kings. Alright.
2: <laughs> so does, does playing with like old clubs from the eighties or old balls, does that how bad does that affect your game? Or like could any of you shoot well with that? Is that a
0: Time for us to go try it, Jack. Sounds like a sounds like something worth trying. We need to go buy like a a couple of like ancient balls off of eBay. And just go out and play with them and see how well we can shoot.
2: Yeah, well, have some fun with it. Uh, uh, if you have the better your technique, the more versatile you are in those situations. So, like, there are some players on the tour I will not mention them at least in this podcast that I don't think would be out there without modern technology. Here, here. Yeah, like, because the the equivalent my coach gave me so. If you miss the sweet spot on today's equipment, anything in the last... I'll even go last 20 years. Anything in the last 20 years, if you miss that sweet spot by, you know, let's say a centimeter, you'll lose about 5 to 8% of your distance, which isn't a lot, but the, the total outcome in terms of the shape of the ball, et cetera, is actually fairly good. If we give you equipment from the 70s, 80s, 60s, whatever... The sweet spots so the same differential. So if I miss it by this much in today's equipment, it would be the equivalent of back then, i missing the center of the face by that much, about the width of a T. So the sweet spot was considerably smaller. So if you miss the same amount that you did with equipment back then, you'll miss the target by a long shot. It won't even be close.
3: I mean, we talk about the transition I actually went through I've been playing the same clubs since 1988. And to your point, you get it you don't hit it dead square where the size of a pin is, it doesn't go anywhere. So you've got that forgiveness, and especially when you get into the your metal woods, the pattern is built, the technology is built from low heel to high toe so now you have all that mass which makes a huge difference you know so an off center hit for you know a young fellow like yourself you're going to get more yards now than what you would have with some of that older clubs balls much more fun back then we could curve the ball an incredible amount you don't you can curve it some but not anywhere near what we used to be able to
2: with that said, though, there are guys that are playing titleless Pro B ones from, like, 2006 on the tour. You don't see that. It has the normal stamp on there, but there are players that like a certain ball from a certain time period, and they will play that for the rest of their career. So, um, you know, yeah. Oh, Stephanie wants to add. Do it.
4: I'm going to ask you guys, actually, but don't you think in terms of long-term junior development – Clubs that are too long and too heavy overall are not good for you because they will create the compensations that we don't want to see as an adult. I mean, look at even Tiger, right? He has all of these issues now with his back, his knees, all that kind of stuff. But what does that stem from? That's stemming from clubs that are too long and too heavy. So all of the positives, yes, that you guys are saying. But if I'm looking at it from a long-term development standpoint, not sure there.
2: This is where I'm going to have fun debating Stephanie a little bit on this topic. So over my left shoulder is my son Daniel hitting a golf ball with my monster clubs that we have. Uh, So I think you need to have clubs that are too – at this age. So this is much younger than what we're talking about. So the club's too long. So what he has to do is you'll notice you've got a split grip like a hockey stick. Watch – Watch the overall movement. Does that not look like an athlete to you? That is just like daddy. (laughs) Thanks. He's got the knee sag and everything. But what you're going to see here is he can't use his arms and hands, and so he's required to use his body in order to execute it. So I also like them having like super light clubs at the same time at this age um, where he can work on hand and arm speed. Um, I'm not telling him to do that. Like he's like, dad can I hit yours?" Yeah, that's fine. I'm like oh, I don't mind. And then this is Nora Grace. That's Nora Grace. Like now, immediately, right? So we think it's it, it is it is cute and it's funny, but she's learned like, oh, I can't let my arm swing back like that. And so, oh, did she hit it? Or did she swing it? And so she's forced to use her body to hit it. So that's an extreme heaviness where she's required to use her body. And so like, I don't mind not giving kids at this age clubs. Yet. It's a little bit different opinion but, than most. But to Stephanie's point, yes, junior clubs are too heavy. They're too long. They need to be shorter. This is a, this is a different training scenario. I'm letting them have experiences with super long and super, super light.
4: Because I think we'll figure it out. I think in that sense, like if you have clubs that do not fit you, you're going to figure it out, right? To shoot the lower score, but at what cost? At what cost and what motor pattern is changing based on that?
0: And it goes back to what we were talking about in the first episode, that kids are great at learning. They'll do whatever it takes to complete the task. Whereas the adult will be like, oh, I'm probably not going to do well at this, so I just won't even try, kind of thing. Like, kids are willing to mess up over and over and over and over again to try and accomplish the task, where adults are like, Well, if I'm not going to th- if I'm not going to thrive, I'm not even going to try. I'd say that's fair.
2: Yeah, and that's the thing. Like with Daniel, like he's a thin, small guy, so we've shortened and tightened his golf swing up so it's not out of control. I mean, he's he's headed towards high school and into high school now, and it's just like he's super small. So like. We're at, we're at the point, like, technique matters tremendously, and that's his thing's gonna be accuracy right now until we're getting him in the gym, adding some weight to him,
0: getting him stronger. So, no, that's what we just answered. Thank you very much. His name's Daniel, too. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Daniel.
2: more. <laughs> right. One more, one more, one more, one more question. You get five tickets.
9: Oh, John Waltz, yes, John Waltz. I don't, I don't need tickets, I don't need no stinking tickets. <laughs> Betting on his luck here. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, so three of the four on the panel have been on my podcast, so um, I need to send you a message. Um, but I uh, want to get this opinion from um, from Stephanie and from Scott. And, you know, Jack, you're good, good to go on this one too. But uh, it's something I've been trying to work on a lot is building um, some building some pressure into my uh, my practice, just finding a way to, so I've got, Scott, you know my practice routine. I message you just about every um, every time I have a range session, but uh, I've got certain, certain kind of practice games that I play, certain objectives that I'm trying to achieve with, you know, either ball flight, you know, swing fields, things like that. So what are some more practical ways to build that type of pressure, to build pressure, build objectives into your practice plan? Um, just because... I mean, everybody's going to fra- face some type of pressure at some point in their round. And if you're doing any type of athletic endeavor uh, in a competitive space, you know, you're know you going to be facing some type of pressure. So.
0: I have a, a quick one.
2: Okay, I was going to have a really quick one and then let these two give us the longer answers. That's what
0: I was going to do as well. <laughs> you go first. <laughs> All right, sounds good. Well, um, Colin Morikawa, I talked about him once, on, once right before this. And he's talking about like his range sessions and people are, people are asking him like, you know, what do you do? Do you just, you know, hit straight ones? Do you hit draws? Do you hit fades? And he goes, no, like I imagine the range, like the course, he goes like, okay, if I need to hit to the, to the yellow candy cane, like I'm going to pretend that that's an elevated green going uphill. You know, he, he plays out the situation in his head and then he executes it on the range. And so that is like an awesome way to build confidence in certain shot patterns when you can imagine something. And what I'll do is I'll imagine a tee shot out here on the bridge. I'll be like, okay, this is number three. It's uphill. It's 185 yards from the tips. Let's execute this, right? And I'll just like build in my imaginary golf course on the range. And for me, that's been the best way that I've been able to do it.
2: Come on, here we go. So a quick one here. Here we go. Get people that are better than you and let them kick your tail in practice. Go on the golf course, like in our in our group, um, you know you know Princess has gotten a lot, but like Michael Miller's like the leader in our group, right? Like he's the lowest scorer, shoots in the 60s, like for now. For for I love it, <laughs> but like get with players that are better than you, and let them kick your tail and work to not. Like one of my favorite things from Daniel Martin when he's come up here, it's like he's told me he's like I want to go to a school where I get my, like where I get my teeth kicked in the, the first two years. Like are you crazy? It's because I know that's going to make me better. It's going to make me work harder. It's going to let me see where the bar is. I'm going to learn from how they play the game. Like I, I'm going to learn so much. And so like, get around people that can kick your tail. I know we've got some people in our Cracking the Code that are near your same level, slightly better than you. So like, getting around those people and others. Closest to the pin contest, putting contest, chipping contest. Go on the golf course. Like, played against Stephanie. I was like, I'll spot you five today. We won't tell you the outcome of that. But, um,
9: She got you by eight.
2: I shot three under and got her by one. I gave her five shots. So she'd never played here before, hadn't seen the golf course, so I felt like it's a fair trade. we basically almost tied. Paybacks are hell. I know, I know. That's come, well, I fixed her golf swing this afternoon, so that's gonna come back to bite me later. So, uh, but yeah, put yourself around other people that are better.
4: Just to add to everything, I love what Jack just said about just the visualization Uh, Aspect you have to build that into practice. And then I don't know how many of you guys are tournament players, but to be honest, the only real way to feel the pressure is to keep putting yourself in that situation and play tournaments and get uncomfortable, going back to the point that Scott's made all night. Um, And then I guess, like, specific drills, things that we do with our juniors, and again, I'm sure Scott does too, is... The best you can do with building it into practice is, one of my favorite drills is you can start with five. So five up and downs from various spots. You have to get up and down, and if you don't, like if you miss one, you have to start over and then up it to 10. Or same thing with lag putts. I love doing it with lag putts. Uh, 10 in a row, if you three putt, start over. Because to me, you start to feel that pressure when you start to hit number four on the up and downs or number nine, and then you can keep making the drill harder. But those are just some simple ways to add it into your practice, but then play in tournaments if you haven't before.
3: Yeah, those are all great. I'm, I'm going to take it from a different standpoint, because you really can't simulate it on the practice too. You, you just can't. I mean, there's great drills and techniques and things that you can try to do, but the whole point is you got to be able to get lost in the process. We've talked about that a lot tonight. Deep about practice. About sticking into the process. So what I do to maintain getting lost in the process because trying to imitate stress is to get your heart rate up. So do burpees, do sit-ups. Now go try to hit that five iron 200 and see what it looks like. Now try to hit the wedge 73 yards and not 80.
4: That's what's worked for some of my players. I just wanna add one more thing, just a great exercise that we actually do with our, our juniors too, is we put a heart rate monitor on them and then we have everyone in the academy watch them. So it's great. And it's executing certain shots. It's not just hitting a straight shot. Again, adding to, to Jack's point is like, it's shot shaping, right? Cause that's what we have to do out on the golf course. And it's really cool to see their heart rate go up and they're not even aware of it.
0: And you can do it, too, with, like, if you have an Apple Watch, if you have a Whoop, if you have a Fitbit. I guarantee you, you can start, like, a workout, putting workout in parentheses for those listening at home. And it'll track your heart rate, right? Do whatever you got to do. Do burpees, get people to watch you, whatever, to elevate your heart rate, and then you can execute. So, great. Awesome question, John. Thank you. Thank you.
9: I, well, sorry, John. Scott, 36 and a half points, three rounds on the shoots tonight. So, figured I'd give you that live. So There you go
0: he knows what that means well all right. Um, we're going to wrap up the audio podcast and then we're going to get to the raffle so everybody who is here automatically gets a ticket Um, if you asked a question if you followed us on Instagram you get more tickets I see we have a lot of tickets in here so we're going to get to that I'm just making everybody who's listening to this on the airwaves jealous so uh, thank you all for being here this has been the best podcast we have ever done I really truly appreciate every single one of you who showed out tonight everybody here on the panel thank you so much for being here we have one more to do. We're How just many of
2: y'all want one more topic? We're going to hit it heavy if y'all want it.
0: Yeah, we're going to do a quick 10 to 15-minute podcast after we do the raffle. We're going to do the raffle between podcasts here to yep. give you guys, uh, you know, you can taste that golf bag, the Pro V1s, the books you guys are going to win. It's going to be a great great little time here so yep. uh, for those of y'all listening on the airwaves please 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 subscribe or follow the podcast um, the way you can do that is if you search the champions playbook on either apple podcast or spotify spotify go ahead and hit that follow button if you're on apple music please uh, go ahead and subscribe scroll all the way to the bottom and give us a rating five stars would be preferable it helps us if people are going to search golf on the podcast we come up first so that's awesome um, so from that Follow Scott on Instagram at SSE Golf 2S2Es. Two S's two Follow me on Instagram, the underscore JBeard. And, um, y'all, thank you so much for our awesome podcast here tonight. We got one more going. We're about to do the raffle. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll see you on the next one. Peace. Thanks, y'all, for listening to this episode of The Champion's Playbook. As always, you can find us anywhere that you guys are. So uh, make sure to check out Scott on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of the above. His Instagram is at golf. That's two S's and two E's. So make sure to go and check out everything that he's got going on over on his Instagram page. Uh, as well as make sure you follow Franklin Bridge. Uh, Franklin Bridge puts out some great things as well, and we want to make sure that we support them because they support us. So as always, feel free to come by the back porch of the Persimmon Pub at 7 p.m. on Wednesdays to come and listen to us talk golf. So book a late afternoon round of golf, and then afterwards... Come on inside, get some food, some drinks. Uh, We got some specials going on. We had some $5 flatbread pizzas. We had some amazing chicken tacos, as well as drink specials going on all night long. So make sure to support the Persimmon Pub as well when you come out. We would love to see you guys. We do one episode and then a live Q&A and then another episode. So from 7 to 9 on Wednesdays, we hope to see you soon, and we'll see you on the next one. Peace.